0: Thank you, Raina, uh, for that reading. And and what Raina was reading is is Moses' song, uh, the song of of the Israelites, the people uh, at length, and then the last bit known as Miriam's song. Uh, But these are the songs that the Israelites sing to God when they have crossed the Red Sea. And in crossing the Red Sea, uh, their deliverance, their escape, their freedom, their joy, Everything has now been established, and so we're, we're brought into the full emotion and the full drama of the story. So I'm incredibly excited. So I, I want to paint a little bit of the big picture and and look at what is going on here because there's a lot theologically that's important, but uh, the Egyptian culture had a, a worldview that was called Maat, so uh, capital M-A-apostrophe-A-T, and Maat just basically grabs together all of of the ordering principles and and who's involved in running the affairs uh, of the natural world of of the Egyptian empire. Uh, Let me put it this way. Uh, The Egyptians ran everything by the rising and the falling of the Nile, that that was predictable, Uh, the rising and the setting of the sun. And so they loved order, they hated chaos, And so ma'at is is kind of this whole worldview or system of there being order or uh, establishing of order in Egypt. So the gods were a part of this. And through regular festivals or honoring them, uh, it would help uphold and keep that balance. Uh, Pharaoh uh, played a significant role. He was supposed to be the one that was the intermediary in helping to keep the system running so that all things would be in harmony. Uh, So the the Hebrew word shalom, if you think of that word, uh, justice and order and truth and goodness and flourishing, that word would would almost be the same concept if you took uh, ma'at and applied it to kind of over the natural world, over the land and the crops, over the waters, over the sky, etc. So this is what the Israelites have been a part of in Egypt. They've been under or oppressed under this system of order. The authority and the governance and how they have to run their lives have all been a part of this Egyptian system. And so when God takes the Israelites and brings them across the Red Sea, it's not just simply a chase that that the Israelites outrun the Egyptians. It's not just uh, that they got to the finish line first. God is, in this moment, breaking uh, the story or breaking the spell or the narrative that these people had lived under. Uh, So Pharaoh goes into the sea. Uh, His ability to manage this system, his power, has now been broken. God uses the sea, so the symbols uh, of of the natural world to demonstrate that he has control or sovereignty over this. So when we get to the song, we see this, this fascinating refrain right from the beginning, Exodus 1. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And now I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So he's broken the power and he's used the natural world, the natural order to do it. He is above the gods. Uh, He has conquered this foreign worldview or system. Exodus chapter 15, verses three through four. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. So you, you basically begin by just naming what they've seen, that, that the seas have come in, they have drowned these officers, the power is gone, the spell is broken, we are set free, we are emancipated. Um, many of us just celebrated uh, Juneteenth, and Juneteenth marks uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, but when it's finally realized several years later in Texas, but when, when that Freedom Declaration fully covers the people that have been enslaved or oppressed. And this uh, beginning of Moses' song, the the song that all the Israelites sing, is an emancipation song. It is a a rejoicing, it is a shout, it's a declaration of their independence. Um, All of the references that we're seeing about the natural order say that there's been a change of administration. Uh, They are under... Uh, the authority of Yahweh. He is now their God. He is now their King. All of the things he promised them when they were in Egypt, he's now beginning to deliver on or make good. Um, Let me just read a couple more verses here out of Exodus 15. Verse eight says this, by the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. So a comparison to Leviathan, that, that God is doing the things normally attributed to, to the Leviathan and, and that he has the authority over the seas. Verse 11, just the heart of this passage. Imagine as you're singing, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? You have transcended that worldview. You've transcended that system. Who among the gods is like you, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders. Um, these these Israelites have, have just left a place where for hundreds of years their families have been kept as slaves. They've been driven by slave drivers to meet quotas that they couldn't meet. They've been Uh, dying early deaths. They've been mourning and lamenting. They've been crying out to God. And then as they're set free, they're chased and pursued by um, the weapons of war that they don't have the ability to fight uh, or the, the, the knowledge or the skill to stand up against. They come through with walls of water on both sides. I don't know what kind of anxiety that would give somebody, but um, to be at the bottom of the lake or the bottom of the sea, walking through walls of water, um, desperately trying to make good on your escape. And you get to the other side and you've got this adrenaline that's been going for days, for weeks, uh, even when Moses first got there and started bringing the plagues and, and what that did to destabilize things and destabilize culture. I mean, is, is any of this sounding familiar? Plagues? Anxiety, uncertainty, disruption, uh, destabilization, not knowing what the future holds, um, feeling like you're up against it, um, oppression and, and fighting or, or for liberation or against injustice. We're living this life. We're living this life, and and we have to feel the emotion of this so that we can really get into the next part of the song, which is just a small little part. It's Miriam's song. It's believed that it's probably just the opening of her song, and it echoes the opening of Moses' song. So we kind of get a bookend here. But this last little bit, this footnote of Miriam, actually opens up so many important things, and so. Um, let me just share a couple of these. Uh, it's, it's basically this in the text, uh, Exodus fifteen twenty. Just let me read it to you so we see what's next. Uh, but the whole of, of Israel sings the song. The men sing the song. Uh, and then we get to Miriam. And it says, Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister. Let's just stop there for a second. Miriam is called a prophet. She's the first woman in the Bible called a prophet. Uh, we see others in Scripture, Deborah, Holda, uh, Nodi- uh, Nodiah. We see other uh, female or women prophets, but right here, Aaron and, and Moses' sister, Miriam, is called a prophet. Uh, she's also Aaron's sister. Uh, we read her first in Scripture when she is the one that goes down and puts her brother. Moses into the reed basket to try and keep him safe. And she gets a a word or a promise of deliverance of who Moses is going to be. And she ends up being a part of that story. So we see her early on yearning for salvation, saving her brother's life. And now we see her following his song with her own prophetic words as she leads people uh, in song and dance. So it says, as she takes a timbrel or a tambourine in her hand, all the women follow her. Uh, we're talking hundreds of thousands, a million women following her with, with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam saying to them, echoing the, the whole refrain here of what is happening with the world order being changed, all things being made new. It's the gospel. Um, it's the gospel. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exa- uh, exalted. Both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. Um, these are ancient words, commentators would tell us. Moses' song and Miriam's, just old forms of Hebrew words. These go all the way back to the events and were passed down in an oral culture over and over and then eventually recorded. Um, what else is going on here? Uh, we, we have to understand for the women uh, of, is- of Israel, who had uh, their children and their babies, and as midwives had to be a part of the killing of their children and their babies, and that they are now fully free. They've seen the oppressor drowned in the ocean. They know that that trauma is not going to return to them again, That's, that that uh, endless work is not going to return again. Here's what Walter Brueggemann says uh, Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, says, The reason that Miriam and, and the other women can sing and dance at the end of the Exodus narrative is the emergence of the new social reality. It's, it's not the system that used to be, it's God's kingdom that he's gonna bring, which the life of the Israelite economy is uh, which uh, in which the life of the Israelite economy is no longer determined and compelled by the insatiable production quotas Of Egypt and its gods. They have come to the desert to meet Yahweh, to meet God, to follow him to his holy mountain, to take on a new pattern of life patterned after creation that's in balance. And what that would mean for people that have been struggling to catch their breath and never be able to to keep up. And so uh, this this is all now changing. And uh, even more poignantly, Uh, the Jewish commentators, uh, Jewish rabbis, as they comment on each other, show us uh, more of the significance. And they talk about the righteousness of these women. Um, The righteousness of these women because they had a resolute belief in God's imminent redemption. They went to the desert with tambourines they went to the desert to worship. They went to the desert knowing that they were gonna be able to celebrate somehow if, if only by faith. And so based on these rabbinic teachings, we kind of come to this question, why are Miriam and the women singing uh, and dancing with the instruments when there's no such mention made of that with all of Israel or the men before? And it's, it's this resolute belief by the women that firmly believed in God's ultimate redemption of these Israelites, made good first uh, by Miriam's belief in Moses when he was a baby, and then in her taking the tamarind into the desert, taking the song as her own, leading the women in full dancing. Why is that significant? Um, It's significant for two reasons. Uh, Many scholars would say the Jewish tradition of getting your body into your prayer Um, to get your full body and your full voice um, and and motion into your worship and your singing, that all of that is needed to to fully express joy, that that tradition gets off the ground here with Miriam. That even if you go to... um, Israel now and watch uh, as devout or Orthodox Jews pray, that they pray with their full body that this is a part of the tradition many believe comes from right here. Uh, the second thing that's fascinating is uh, is that, that moving our bodies expresses the, the, the feeling or the celebration we have in the moment when God has redeemed or delivered or saved us. But somehow the action can also trigger the joy. So even if we're not feeling that joy or that deliverance, the act of full-bodied worship and singing can help us remember that we do have a God who saves, a God who liberates, a God who delivers, and that in that memory, we can channel and live out that fullness of joy. It's, It's called the discipline of joy. We either have it in the moment or we can avail ourselves of it because of what's happened in the past. We see that with Miriam here, partly because of what she's doing to express joy. Secondly, because she's leaving us a song uh, that that gets written down, Moses' song and Miriam's, as the sacred songs in Jewish history and in church history. Um, So just um, a couple of those songs uh, we could we could read about, but they are still to this day being sung uh, during Shabbat, being sung uh, multiple times per week. They are being sung as songs of salvation and deliverance uh, for the people that, that claim uh, an attachment to this history. The uh, last thing here is that we um, we see these songs showing up with Deborah, Hannah. David, when he comes to the temple, sings one of these songs of salvation. In the New Testament, Elizabeth and Mary sing their songs after this pattern. Uh, We see Zacharias singing a song after this pattern. Um, There's a picture I can put up of Deborah singing her song, but art history is, is gonna grab around these moments uh, and put them forward as an example to us that we sing the songs of salvation to mark the times of God's faithfulness experienced by his community. So we have joy in the moment, or we have joy later when we recall the moment. God saves now, but God has also saved. And so at any point, we can look back to his salvation. Uh, the God who saves, has saved, is saving and will save. Um, We're starting to do communion again. The whole idea of of the Lord's Supper is remembering the salvation of God, that God has saved. He is saving. Grace is operative in our lives. And and he will save in the future when his kingdom is fully established and his reign uh, is amongst us, that every tear is wiped uh, from the eye. Um, So here's how I would close. Um, This is an amazing look at the women who brought the tambourines that knew they were going to be worshiping their God, that sing this song of deliverance that we can rejoice in or remember, that God is sovereign, that the world order has been righted. This God that we look to now, not the ancient um, gods of nature, not the Egyptian state of affairs or Pharaoh who's maintaining it. It's God uh, that we look to now. God delivers on his promise to take us out and to establish us. He calls us out to worship him. So let us come with our tambourines. Let us walk by faith, truly believing that we will see the day of the Lord and be able to celebrate it. Let's look back to the times when God has been faithful to draw strength, that discipline of joy. We celebrate our salvation in Christ, as well as his promises of walking us through the valleys and our Red Seas. We celebrate it with the fullness of our humanity, dancing and giving expression to or instigating the fullness of joy in our hearts. And we now remember all of these celebrations in our songs. Uh, They make it into our liturgy as the church. Uh, What are the songs of your family? What are the things being codified? What are you hanging on to that you can go back to and recall and remember? And because the discipline of joy comes in the moment, uh, and it comes in the remembrance of how God has delivered in the past, um, we celebrate. And so I, uh, I want to take us forward. I want to ask Reina if she'll come back and close us in prayer. But but we are in the tradition uh, of a God who brings us out of Egypt, calls us out of Egypt, uh, and creates a new order for us to live into. And that in that moment. With all that we bring to it and all the emotions and all the hopes and the dreams, uh, we sing, we dance, and we play our tambourine. Amen.